Wednesday, June 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager, and Fool.com featured columnist Morgan Housel in the house for the first time. Welcome, sir. Glad to be here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Guest hey. appearance. Coming cross country just to be on Market Foolery. It's a long commute. Glad to be here, though. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about Best Buy. We're going to dig into some dividend stocks, but we are going to start in federal court. Apple won a court order blocking the sale of Samsung's Galaxy Tab 10.1 tablet computer in the United States. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you. We talked recently about Galaxy's uh, phone in Europe, the 3S, yep. uh, or Samsung's Galaxy 3S, um, the, success, the success that it had. This seems like really bad news for Samsung. It seemed like Samsung was on a roll, and uh, this, this kind of uh, stopped the train. It's bad news. It's not really bad news. Right now, in different courts around the world, you've got Google, Apple, HTC, and Microsoft and Samsung all suing the crap out of each other over <laughs> patents. And they're fighting on different phones, different platforms. It's basically like a nuclear arms race and lawsuits and patents. And what I think you're going to see is ultimately, just like we had in the Cold War, some sort of resolution where these guys read some sort of universal patent-sharing agreement and cross-license agreement. Uh, realistically, they're not going to be able to continue going on suing each other like they've been doing. And in some cases, it's really I don't know. Apple's where, got deep pockets, though. Well, they've all got deep pockets, and they've all got a lot of patents. And they do have valid claims on you know trying to get some money from the other guy. But when they're all basically ripping on each other's stuff... You know, there is some sort of basis for a you know, cross-license agreement. I think there's a good chance we'll see that. And part of the reason that you know, there's a little more support for that is some of these guys supply one another. So, For example, Samsung is actually a key supplier to Apple, which makes it all the more interesting that they're you know, suing the crap out of each other. But it also points to eventually you know, they're going to try and come to some sort of settlement. And I'm not a lawyer, so I appreciate basic terms like suing the crap out of each other. Uh, Jason, what do you make of this? Yeah, I don't know that it's really that big of a deal for Samsung in that they weren't making all that many waves with the product to begin with. I mean, we were looking at the numbers for January to March, and Apple had sold somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 13.5 or so uh, iPads, 13.5 million iPads, versus Samsung's about 1.5 million Galaxies. And so they weren't exactly you know picking up a lot of share that way. And just, I mean, speaking as a, as a consumer, from a consumer's perspective here, I mean, having had the chance to use a Galaxy, or at least try to use a Galaxy, I mean, it, it's it's just not a very easy device to use. And I think we have so many people now who are used to either using their iPhones or their iPod Touch that making that transition over to an iPad is a very natural move. Uh, going to something like a Samsung Galaxy is not very natural, and so I think this certainly hurts Samsung more than it more than it hurts Apple. I don't know. I, I think it's a bigger win for Apple than it was a loss for Samsung because it's such a small part of Samsung and. You know, Apple has this cash cow that they're trying to protect, but you are going to see competition come in. You know, Kindle's doing it now. You know, Google's rolling out a tablet. And these guys are going to start this chipping week, away. Google's rolling out a tablet. Right. They're going to start chipping away at market share, and they're going to do it at the low end. And even though the devices they're going to be putting out aren't as fully featured as iPads, you know, I've made this comp before, but, you know, BMW's a great car, but we can't all afford BMWs. Most people don't drive those cars. People just want something that works well, and it's affordable, and... You're going to start seeing that come in sooner or later. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's a bigger win for Apple than it's a loss for Samsung. There wasn't that much for Samsung to lose in the first place. I think what's important to add, too, is that there's a good place for patents. They're important in business. But when you start getting into these vicious battles, the winners are the lawyers and the losers are the consumers. <laughs> yeah. So 
I get that competition is coming. What's the? Is there even a significant threat to the iPad right now? Because, as I said, we have Google's tablet that's being rolled out this week. We talked recently about Microsoft's Surface tablet, but there are still some questions about that. It's, it, first of all, it's not here yet. Second of all, we don't know what the price tag is going to be. We don't know how the keyboard is going to work. What's the threat right the now? The Google tablet has been, you know, they've made made the case that Google tablet's going to be more of a competitor to Amazon because it's priced towards that Kindle Fire price point of $199, $200 a unit. Um, I, I don't foresee that being any kind of a competitor with, with an iPad because they're just two fundamentally different uh, products there. You know, I, I think the argument can be made that any of these tablets really primarily are consumption devices. Uh, speaking from, you know, having used all sorts of different tablets, the, the first thing that you use them for is consumption. Um, so I think the Google tablet would be more of a threat to Amazon. The Microsoft tablet maybe, you know, gets in a little bit of, of a share from Apple. But but again, I don't know that it really would, would have that whole, have that much of an effect on it. Joe? Well, I think Surface is going to struggle, and I know we've trashed on these guys so much, but at the price point it's rolling out at, above an iPad, buzzes that it's not going to have 3G capability. And those are pretty big hurdles for you to, to get over when already the iPad's a proven commodity that people love, developers have rallied around it. I, I think the fact that the iPad went from nothing to selling tens of millions of units in one year, two years, shows how fast the market can change in this technology. Yeah. So whether there's something on the market or in the pipeline right now that's a threat to the iPad, I think more important that Apple shareholders recognize is that the market can change very, very fast when something comes out. Best Buy founder Richard Schultz is working with a Wall Street bank to explore taking the company private. Uh, Jason Schultz is the largest shareholder. He's got uh, just over a 20% stake in the company. Is this a good move? I think it's a necessary move. I mean, the stock price over the past five years has been whacked in more than half. Uh, they're losing market share simply because they're having to, to deal with these big big box showrooms that serve more or less as just what people call glorified showrooms for, you know, making the ultimate purchase on Amazon. And so they are, you know, Best Buy is going to have to, we've, we've talked about this before, Best Buy can exist, it can succeed, but it's going to have to do so, it's going to have to be much smaller than it is now. Uh, they're going to have to focus on smaller stores, uh, focus primarily, I think, on the mobile segment because this big box uh, model isn't really working. Uh, it's interesting when you look at Best Buy, too, because, you know, we thought when Circuit City went bankrupt, this was really Best Buy's game, set, match. It was done. Yeah. And, and that obviously isn't the case right now. And this one that's sneaking under the radar here, it's, it's just an interesting story in H.H. Gregg, because H.H. Gregg is another one of those big box uh, retailers, and they focus on, you know, electronics, appliances, video, and stuff like that. And they've been having the same trouble as, as, uh, as Best Buy has, but they seem to be faring a little bit better with it because they're already sort of taking themselves out of that, that video mix and just focusing on the higher margin appliances and uh, they just don't have as big of a footprint, and their costs aren't quite as high as Best Buy. So it's just interesting to see them kind of sneaking under the radar here. But Best Buy itself, you know, again, I, I think the only way they can exist is if they streamline the operation. Uh, Joe, you look at shares of Best Buy today, they're actually down slightly, trailing the market uh, by about 2% as we started mm -hmm. taping. And is that an indication that ultimately – Investors. The market doesn't buy in. I was going to say, the market yeah. doesn't think this deal is actually going to happen? Yeah, well, I did some rough cut math, and this guy would need to get about $5.5 billion or so in financing to seal the deal. That's a lot of money to raise, and if you're a 71-year-old guy who doesn't actually want to run the business, and you know, seemingly, I don't, I'm sure he has some sort of plan, but it hasn't been leaked out yet, doesn't know who the CEO would be, and you know, when you run the 
the math on that, you see basically they'd be paying about $400 million in interest at Best Buy. They do about $2.4 billion in operating profit, so it's manageable. But you know, that's a lot of debt to take on for a business that had negative comps, uh, for has had it for a long time. But the last quarter, same-store sales were down 5%. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who the lenders are who just step up to lend them money at 7%. You know, the idea if, if Best Buy went went private, the idea is when you take a company off the public market and you make it private, that you can focus on the long term, you you are removed from the, the stock market's focus sure. on short-term results. There's not a lot of evidence that that's really the case. A lot of times when companies go private, they're bought out by private equity, the, the new owners become more motivated to pull cash out. Uh, and there are plenty of examples of companies that go private and it, it's actually... Uh, the the start of their of their death, so you know I, I'm I'm not really convinced that if Best Buy went private, there's much that it would do to turn the company around that it couldn't do as a public company. Joe, yeah, I agree, and this is a little different scenario than your average you know founder led takeout too, where given the guy's age, you almost wonder if this is kind of a, a legacy you know play here that he wants to keep the business in the family. In which case, if I'm a lender thinking about supporting this deal, I'm like, well, what is my you know takeout? Right. Potential here, unlike you know a private equity firm that's usually looking to cut costs, uh, focus on the long term, but mainly cut costs, and then flip the business in a few years. I, you know, I don't know what your exit strategy is. Uh, with uh, Morgan making the cross country trip, we figured we'd we'd milk him for everything he's worth. Um, so, uh, want to get into a couple of things that you've written, Morgan, on Fool dot com. And earlier this year, you wrote a piece asking if there was a bubble in dividend stocks, yep. and you know, noting that. Stocks like Altria, Caterpillar, Consolidated Edison, McDonald's, they're all trading at, at pretty rich valuations. Yep. Do you still feel that way? Do you think dividend stocks I would, are overvalued? I, I think as a whole, no. I think there are definitely examples of high-yield stocks that investors have been chasing, I think, blindly in search of yield. And that's likely primarily a, a factor that fixed income bonds and savings accounts yield nothing. And uh, large cap high-yield dividend stocks are some of the only areas in the entire investment world where you can still get yield today. And I think what, when, whenever you have a situation where investors chase something blindly just in search of yield, it's probably not going to end well. Early last decade, we had low interest rates as well, and investors around the world piled into subprime bonds because that's where they could find yield. And that, that, How'd that it, work out? obviously didn't end, end, end too well. And I'm certainly not making an argument that dividend stocks are the equivalent of subprime bonds, but I think there's a comparison to make that when you start chasing something in search of yield without much respect to valuation, it usually doesn't end well. So I think as a whole, dividend stocks, I think, are still uh, good investments. That's most of what I own. But there are plenty of examples, especially in utility stocks, telecom stocks. They've done very well over the past two years, and they trade at valuations now, in some cases, that's the highest they've seen uh, in 10 or 20 years. Uh, and it's 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 hard to make a case that the 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 risk reward trade off there is is very favorable anymore. Let's name some names. Give me one dividend stock you would stay far away from, and one that you like. So one I actually still own it, but I've cut back in the position significantly. Is uh, is 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 ED Consolidated Edison. That's one that's done extremely well in recent years. It's pushed the dividend the dividend yield to below four percent. Which, I, if you had told someone a few years ago that a slow growing utility stock would yield less than four percent, I think they'd laugh at you. That's one I definitely want to be buying right here. One I still like is Procter and Gamble. The company's going through some tough times right now, trying to figure out, tr- trying to restructure and whatnot. Yields three point eight percent, which for a company like Procter and Gamble still still looks like a pretty good deal. 
Jason? Yeah, I like his call on Procter & Gamble. We spoke about that yeah. last week on the radio show where they just, you know, the stock is down about 10% this year just on some you know, obscurities to exactly what direction the company's going. Uh, one that I, a company I like a lot, I feel like it's a little bit pricey right now, Coca-Cola. Uh, it's yielding about 2.8%, I think. And, um, you know, they're headed for, I think, a stock split here very soon, which it'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction that gets. But it's really, you know, an excellent company, obviously, tremendous distribution model. I feel like it's run up a little bit, and, and I'd wait for it to pull back. Joe? Yeah, well, I was also going to say Procter & Gamble. I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, it's pulled back quite a bit. Uh, great brands, great distribution, great cash flow, great dividend. Uh, another one worth looking at is Johnson & Johnson. I think they're on the verge of turning around some of the issues they've had with product quality, and the stock is pretty cheap, pays they've, a high payoff. To be fair, as a shareholder, I can uh, I can speak with authority. They've had a lot of issues. They've had a <laughs> they've lot, had of, a lot issues. of issues across a lot of divisions. Yeah. Well, and I think the stock has been priced for a business that's had those issues. And I think as they kind of turn the corner on that, start posting some organic growth, which people haven't seen from them in a long time, and they just did a massive share repurchase to offset the issuance they did for buy and synthesis, you know, I think ultimately these investments could do pretty well you know, within the context of safety being overvalued at large. Any that, you, like Morgan, you're just looking at and saying, I, I get that they're paying a dividend, but I'm just staying the hell away from them. I have a negligible position in Southern Company. It's so small, I'm not going to bother selling it. But I agree with Morgan that utilities, especially you know, kind of blue chip American companies that investors feel warm and cozy with, are pretty overvalued right now. And I suspect they're going to underperform pretty badly over five, ten years. One to be aware of, I think, is like we hear a lot. It's a pretty dirty play, but super value. You know, it yields six point eight percent today, which is it looks great. But you got to figure how in the world are they going to be able to fund that? I just don't see that. Uh, as, as a real long-term sustainable situation. Uh, Morgan, you had written something last week, a uh, column entitled, The Most Important Numbers of the Next Half Century. Actually, the Washington Post picked it up, which is always nice. Yep. Um, and we don't really talk a lot about demographic trends, right. um, but there's one trend in particular that, that you think is pretty interesting and relevant for investors. Yeah, so for all of its faults, everything going wrong in America right now, one thing that we have going for us that most of the world does not is we have a pretty young population and still a pretty high birth rate. That keeps our population growing for the next 50 years. It should, at least. These trends can always change, of course. But it looks likely that our population will grow pretty significantly over the next 50 years. Uh, so the, the current forecasts are that by 2050, the U.S. working age population, which is those between age 15 and 64, will grow by almost 50 million people, uh, which I, I think I wrote in the article. That's the equivalent of about six New York cities. And then you, you, you look at other global economies around the world, almost all of them will see their working age populations fall between now and 2050. China in particular, uh, with its one-child policy, their working age population is, is projected to fall by 200 million people between now and 2050. I think that, that's a really big trend that a lot of people don't appreciate. Uh, as I wrote in the article as well, if you look at Japan over the last 20 years, their economy has been pretty slow, pretty stagnant. There are many reasons for that. One of the big ones, though, is that it has a very old population. So, so last year, there were more sales of adult diapers than child diapers in, in Japan last <laughs> Japan? year. Japan? Which is, uh, you know, if, if, there's one, if there's one rule of thumb that rules out a fast-growing economy, I think that's, that's, that's a good one. That's probably it. I was gonna say, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of those stats. <laughs> so uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly not the most important factor to grow an economy. You, there are plenty of examples of countries that had fast-growing populations that do very poorly. Most of Africa is like that. But it's, it's a very important factor that I think people overlook, and it's one thing that the United States has growing for it right now. 
now I want that stat every month. Now, now I want <laughs> the C- diaper index. I, I want CNBC to crank out the diaper index and start <laughs> like that. That now needs to be a screen right. that they just put up. All sorts of metrics out there. Um, so, so in terms of industries uh, or even individual companies, who stands to benefit from a trend like that? Who, who and and which you know which ones are maybe hurt by that. Well, I think it's it's really hard to to say what industries would benefit from a trend that's going to play out over the next four or five decades. Uh, I'm I, not I, saying it was a fair question. I'm going to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think in general, though, it's, it's bullish for the U.S. economy as a whole, and it's pretty bearish on other economies that people are bullish on right now, such as China, uh, a lot of South America, Russia is, is one other that's it's growing pretty pretty good right now, but they have an old population and a low birth rate. It's really hard to grow your economy when your population is shrinking. It's almost impossible. Jason? I'm going to take this in a totally different direction here. It's wild speculation, of course, but judging from the from the numbers there, the projections into 2050, it seems like they're going to be more old people. Yes, and everywhere. So I, I, I'm going to just make a leap here and say that probably means we're going to have more grandparents. Now, right now, we have about 70 million grandparents in the country that spend about $52 billion on their grandkids annually. And about 63% of grandparents today shop online. I'd be willing to fathom, I guess, that by 2050, all 100% of grandparents are shopping online, and they're spending more than $52 billion on their grandkids annually. And so I think this stands to benefit companies like Hasbro and Mattel that sell these toys and interactive games and media and whatnot that they're buying their grandchildren. The neat thing about Hasbro and Mattel is... They're basically brands. They can stamp that brand on any kind of toy. So even as technology advances, Hasbro Mattel can take that brand, stamp it on anything, and it's still going to be okay. I think it'd be an interesting, interesting to watch that play out. You realize when you're talking about grandparents in the year 2050, you're talking about you and me. I, yeah. I am going to be one of those grandparents. <laughs> yes, I would also. I, hope. Green, I mean, I can only hope. I, I would also green thumb any company that sells adult diapers. <laughs> Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all that. Um, <laughs> hopefully sounds... I'll be a grandparent too then. You know, I mean, it's a long way away. I think before we get there, we'll have some larger generational issues that we'll have to overcome. You know, namely that we have these massive deficits. We have a wave of baby boomers looking to roll off who want to retire, many of whom can't. And it's causing a lot of conflict for younger people where, one, it's tough to stare down. You're probably not going to get the benefits that your grandparents are getting uh, because of these deficits. And two, it's tough for a lot of young people to get jobs these days because so many people are hanging on to their jobs. Uh, people who normally you know, would work towards retirement aren't retiring. And so that's really hurting the you know, younger working class. And you're seeing a lot of people really struggle with that financially. They're having to stay home and live with their parents longer. And that's creating some tension. Yesterday, I got home from work and waiting for me uh, on my front stoop was not one, but two copies of the Verizon Yellow Pages, which I brought in uh, here. It is literally 900 pages. Um, and I, Jason, I know you got these delivered to your house as well. And we, we were talking earlier this morning, just sort of, you know, is this a value? Is this a moneymaker for Verizon? Who's advertising in this? Who's deciding I absolutely need to advertise in here as opposed to advertising online? That sort of thing. 2050. Are we still going to have phone books? I, I I was stunned to see these on my front door. In 2012, I was stunned as well. And, I, you know, 2050, it just it wouldn't shock me at all to, to, to get home and see a couple of more of those on my front porch. Just if it hasn't stopped yet, when will it stop, Chris? I, I don't know. Joe, what do you think? I think they're done in five years. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would go with that, too. I, I think there's still a generation right now that is uh, that grew up with, with – 
with phone but they're so used to them that they're still going to use them but I, I think within another five ten twenty years that, that generation will be mostly passed i can't see them sticking around much longer yeah there's a lot of it there's still a surprising amount of money going towards advertising for print so there was this great mary meeker presentation uh, she's the internet.com queen now works for kleiner perkins and she pulled this stat where seven percent of media consumption is print among consumers, but 25% of media ad buy still goes towards print. Wow. So there's still a long way to go in terms of you know the shrinkage of money going. There. Oh well, I mean by 2015, that that's probably Apple's next market. You get home and you find on your front porch the iPages. <laughs> it's like an iPad or something, and you just thumb through and you see the advertisement. That's what it is. We will end there. Jason Moser, Morgan Housel, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.